0: Uh, My name is Pastor Chris, Uh, I want to welcome you here to uh, Knollwood, we have a special uh, barbecue after, I just want to encourage you, even if you're visiting, please come on out after service, enjoy a meal on us, and get to know us a bit. What does it mean to get hit for your faith? You know, to get kind of knocked down for being a Christian, if you will, is this normal in the Christian life? Do you ever feel like you are the world's punching bag, if you will? Always taking the beatings? You know, perhaps you shared your faith and it didn't go well. You were rejected, maybe you were mocked and ridiculed, and you walked away really feeling beat down, you know? How quick were you to kind of get back into the fight, if you will, after that happened? Or maybe you've just kind of said, no, I'm tapping out. That's, that's it. How quick have you been to go out and maybe share the gospel with somebody because of what happened in the past? You know, maybe it was a coworker, and they, uh, they got mad at you, and they rejected you, and then along comes another co-worker. Do you share? Is the door open, maybe? And maybe you just, ah, you know what? that last time is still on my mind, and you kind of just, you don't speak up. Well, in the wise words of Rocky Balboa, (laughs) it ain't about how hard you're hit, it's about how, about how you can get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take and keep moving forward, get up. So how are you doing with that? How are you doing with getting back up after feeling you've been knocked down for your faith in the gospel? Moving forward? Well, unfortunately in this age that we live in, and we'll see in our passage today, when you desire to live a godly life and speak for Christ, you're going to get hit. The punch is coming. So how do we get back up into the fight of faith how do you not grow weary in well doing if you will well in today's passage we're going to see some things that i think will really help us to be able to do that to be able to fight the good faith of the fight the good fight of faith and keep proclaiming it so if you have your bibles with me turn with me to acts 17:10 acts 17:10 uh, we're going to be reading just five verses today, verses 10 through 15. Now, if you don't have a Bible uh, today, we, we would love for you to take the Bible in, in, under the chair in front of you. Uh, that's our gift for you, uh, from us to you today. And if you're using that Bible, you can turn to page 540. 540 is where you'll find our verse today, Acts 17, uh, starting at 10. But before I do, why don't we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and kind. And Lord, we pray, Father God, that you would give us boldness, boldness to proclaim your gospel, to stand for you in this world, to stand unashamed and unapologetically for the gospel. And Lord, we just pray now that you would strengthen us, that we would persevere. Lord, I pray that you would give me your words today to be able to proclaim and teach this message clearly, and that, Lord, you would do a work in the lives of those here to strengthen them and encourage them in this time. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So, Acts 17, starting at verse 10. Follow along with me. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, as soon as possible, they departed. Well, in our passage today, we're going to find there's two observations, two kind of takeaways for us today. Our first observation is that the gospel is believed against a backdrop of persecution. The gospel is believed against a backdrop of persecution. We see this in verses 10 and 12. And so, if you recall from last week with Pastor Matt, Paul and Silas had has now left, they had left Philippi, and they traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, and then they, sh- they ended up in Thessalonica. And there, Paul, over three Sabbaths, preached the gospel, he reasoned from scriptures, he explained and proved from the scriptures who Jesus Christ was. And the result was, was great. It was, some pers- were persuaded. Some believed. They believed the gospel. But we also see that what happened in Philippi also happened in Thessalonica. Some rose up. These Jews got angry, and they rose up, and they rejected the message, and thus they rejected the messenger. And so we find that they were unable to find Paul and Silas, so they go after the, his companions, didn't they? They went after Jason, and they, they kind of attacked Jason, if you will, who hosted them. And that, this takes us up to our passage today, and we see it's, it's kind of clear that Paul and Silas, and I would say Timothy is still there, that they're still in danger of these Jews, even though they were kind of paid off. These Jews were still on the hunt for Paul and Silas. In verse 10, we see that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Why would they do this? Well, there was still a threat to Paul. Even after the money was paid, there was still a threat to Paul and Sardis. And so these disciples thought it was best to slip Paul out of the city under the cover of darkness. And they sent him to a place called Berea, which was kind of southwest. It was about 80 kilometers south of Thessalonica. And we've seen that this isn't the first time, is it, that Paul has had to escape a city if you look back at Acts 9, we found that when Paul believed he was in Damascus, and the Jews got angry, and they went to attack Paul in Damascus, and we saw there that he had to slip out under a cover of darkness at night as well, through a hole in the wall, and led down by a basket. And we saw in Acts 14 that the Jews in Iconium also persecuted Paul and Barnabas there, and they had to flee to Lystra and Derb. And so those who will have loved Paul here and fearing for his life, doing what they can to protect Paul, send him away by night. And this is so we can see here that it's okay to flee from persecution. It's okay to flee from persecution. You are not more holy and righteous in the eyes of God if you stay. We see in Acts 8, 8 1, where a great persecution arose in Jerusalem and the disciples scattered to all the regions. In Matthew 10, 23, when Jesus sends out the 12, what do we hear Jesus say? When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. See, persecution is one means in which God has used to spread the gospel. Sometimes by fleeing an intense situation, you may have more of an effective ministry elsewhere and why he's why it may be right to, to flee. It can also maybe simmer down the, the rhetoric and the rioting of people in the place you're at to can maybe help protect those who choose to stay. And we need to remember that there's always more fish in the sea, if you will. I read recently about a man named Abu Fadi who lived in Iraq in 2014, and he was a Christian. And uh, reports were ISIS was coming. ISIS was coming to this town called Mosul, and the struggle he was facing was that his sister and mother lived in Mosul, and they were both Christians, and they were both disabled. What would they do? We know, as we've heard, churches were being burned down. Christians were saying, convert to Islam or die. What would Abu do? Would he stay or go? Well, we found find in the... In reading of this account, that no, he he went and he went into danger to save his mother and sister, and he flee, he fled, narrowly escaping ISIS a few times, and even being killed at a checkpoint. But no, he fled. He never denied his faith. He stood on the ground, the foundation of Jesus Christ, but it seemed right for him to flee. But I'll also say, it may. Be right, or maybe you feel led to stay under that situation, under that dangerous situation. We find Paul in Acts 14, he gets stoned for his faith. I don't, I don't think any of us have been stoned. <laughs> but what does he do after he gets stoned? No, he gets up and he goes back into the city and he perseveres, he finishes the mission before he moves on. By staying, the reality is others may come to salvation through the witness of your word in that dangerous p- place. You may lose your comfort, you may lose self-esteem, you may even lose your life. Missionary Nip Ripken once said, for God, conquering through persecution rather than extracting from persecution is the norm. And we're not to go out of our way to, to seek out uh, you know, uh, a death wish, if you will, to have that martyr mentality. We're not seeking out to to go into places for persecution for persecution's sake. No. In these situations, you may need to flee. You may choose to flee, or you may choose to stay and suffer for Christ. I would just say much prayer and thought is needed in making those decisions. In our passage here, though, brothers and sisters felt compelled to protect Paul and send Paul away safely. We get no indication from the text that he put up a resistance. Later on, we'll find that he does actually put up a bit of a resistance in Acts 21 13, when compelled to go to Jerusalem, where he knew he would be persecuted, and the believers urged him not to go, but he still went. He had a strong conviction that that's what he was to do. He wasn't seeking persecution. But he wasn't going to let that stop from the mission of the gospel going out and there he would say in this passage he says for i am ready not only to be in prison but even to die in jerusalem for the name of the lord jesus you see whether we are faced with having to stay or flee would those words be on our hearts and our minds would those words be our words would we continue to proclaim the gospel whether we stay or flee. And so we see here in our passage, these believers, they send Paul away. They send him to a place called Berea, as I said. And what does Paul and Silas do when they get to Berea? Do Do they give up because of the constant threat on their lives? Oh man, this is too much, too much. Do they wait until they hear a word from God before they get back into the fight? No. They do what they have always done, they find a synagogue and they preach Christ crucified. See, the gospel is what mattered. Martin Luther once said, if he has faith, the believer cannot be restrained. He betrays himself, he breaks out, he confesses and teaches this gospel to the people at the risk of life itself. See, Paul had his eyes fixed on Christ and his gospel. And I recall In life, when you're sharing Christ, it's often easy to feel downcast, to feel beat up because of rejection and persecution that we experience here, if you will. I recall early on, I was downtown in Victoria Park. This was probably more than 15 years ago. I was with a brother, and we were going around Victoria Park sharing the gospel with people, and it was not a good day for the most part. I came across came across one gentleman. He was abrupt. He was like, no, almost rude. And we're like, all right, we'll go to the next one. We see this sweet little lady, and she just started using language that was like, you know, and you think your ears are going to bleed because of how painful what you're hearing is coming out of her mouth. And it was hard. And then we proceeded a little further, and we came across a bunch of these skateboarders. And they're skateboarding, and we go up and talk to them, and they got belligerent, aggressive, they got up in my friend's face. Even one of them was recording the whole thing and it was like, you feel it, it's heavy. We had to kind of pull each other away and kind of walk away and you're feeling pretty heavy and you're thinking like, oh man, I don't know, should we keep doing this? This is hard. You're feeling frustrated, you're feeling beat up, you've taken a couple sucker punches, if you will, it's hard. But I quit that day. I'll be honest, I wanted to. We kept walking and we crossed the park to the other side and there was a young man sitting at a picnic um, bench and we sat down and I still remember the look on his face after sharing the gospel with him. His countenance changed, his emotions changed, the wheels seemed turning. It was, it was amazing. Pleading with this guy and talking with him. And what was amazing is these skateboarders, a huge crowd of them, all walked by us. And they all looked at us. But I think by God's providence, not one of them spoke up against us when we were sharing with this man. So how about you? Does past rejections hinder future conversations? What motivates you to stay in the fight, if you will? How do you keep going when it hurts and it's hard? I think scripture gives us something here. Turn with me real quickly to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 2. I think there's something here that we can take away for ourselves. Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church. He's writing to the very people who are sending him out to protect him. These are the very same people. He's writing to them now in verse 2. Verse 2, he says, this is verse Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, he shared with them these things. They knew the hurts, the pains, the suffering, the rejection, the imprisonment, their sucker punches he took. They knew. What did Paul do still? He, he goes on to say, We had boldness in God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Boldness in God to preach Christ crucified. He stayed in the fight. Verse 3 goes on for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to see if he had a right heart and all this. But listen here, follow with me in verse 4. It says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We need to remember, brothers and sisters, in the face of rejection, We are not out to please man, but to please God. When you lose sight of this, and you'll lose the desire to stay in the fight. When you lose sight of this, you'll lose the desire to stay in the fight. And so jumping back to our passage today in Acts 17, we see that Paul, designed to please God, goes back into another synagogue and preaches Jesus Christ. The mission mattered. The gospel mattered. And we read in verse 11 where it says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, these Jews were not like the Jews in Thessalonica who rejected him. They were not critical. They were open-minded. They were intently listening. These Jews were eager, ready, and willing to hear the word of God from Paul. One commentator actually said, their nobility lay in their willingness to acknowledge their need, resulting in an eagerness to hear from God and to receive what they heard. Not everyone responds to the gospel the same way. I think we know that. But because you had a neighbor who once rejected it, it doesn't mean your other neighbor will reject it. And we find here that they also examined the scriptures daily to see if it was so. This is a careful examination, right? They did their homework. They wanted to be certain and sure, and they did this daily. It was important to them. You know, you may have heard of the term Beaberean. You know, be a Berean. This idea is like, don't just take my word for it. Look yourself. Get into the word of God and and search out and see if it's true yourself. True authority does not come from human wisdom, human achievements, human philosophy, or human logic. It comes from the word of God. The Bible It is the source of ultimate truth and God has given it to mankind as his special revelation so we can know God, ourselves, the world, Jesus Christ, and the way of salvation. We want all people, Christians included, especially, to be like the Bereans, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. See, these Jews were not critical, they were not fault finders, they were not nitpickers, The context here is not suggesting they didn't believe Paul and were searching for something to disprove Paul. The context is suggesting that they believed what they were hearing and they wanted to see it for themselves from the text. So the question really has to be asked, what did exactly Paul preach that made them want to check it out in Scripture? Well, I would argue it was probably very similar, if not the same, as what he preached in Thessalonica. And we heard last week from Pastor Matt the sufferings of Christ, the resurrection, that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they probably went to certain passages regarding the sufferings, like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, how the Messiah would suffer. And for the resurrection, they might have gone to Isaiah 25, 7, and 8, or Psalm 1610, about how the Messiah would rise from the dead. And regarding the miracles and teachings of Christ, Maybe they went to Deuteronomy 18 and 15 through 16 about another prophet like Moses coming. Maybe regarding the salvation that is in under comes from no other name under heaven. Maybe they went to Joel 2:28 to 32. See, we we got to realize it's not as though Paul didn't want people to take him at his word right? We often talk, we want people to believe us, right? We read in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, a little further along, where Paul says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, when you heard, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We do want people, but going to the Old Testament, as these Jews did, shows their seriousness about the Bible, serious about what they heard and what they were hoping was true, that the Messiah had come. And so, yeah, we want people to believe us when we share the gospel, yes. But even more than that, we want people to see it for themselves by going to Scripture. You should never be offended because somebody says, let me see that in Scripture. I'll be like, yeah, okay, let's go, you know. We should drive everyone to the Bible when we talk to them. Everyone should hear the word of God for themselves. See, scripture is the ultimate authority, not me, not anyone else, scripture. If you don't go to scripture to confirm it, let me ask you, how do you know if it's true? See, we live in an age of information, and the internet has really opened up, made it really easy for all of us to learn a lot, more than any of us can ever really imagine. You know, if you type the word Jesus in Google, you'll get 2.74 billion hits. Have fun going through all those. (laughs) You go to YouTube, you'll find many videos about the Bible, Christianity, and Jesus. And, you know, people are going to teach what they believe to be true, and that's fair, but that doesn't make it true. You know that. How do you know if it's true? You search the scriptures yourself. Brothers and sisters, don't just believe everything we see on the internet. Do you know, just because someone says they're a Christian doesn't actually mean they're a Christian. They may use Christian language even. You know, if someone comes to you and they say, you know, I, I know, I'm a baseball player, they say. But yet they say, you know, they, you, you talk to them, they, they know everything about the game. They know every player out there. They know every stat and every rule. And they are in great shape, and they even dress like a baseball player. But it doesn't mean they are a baseball player. They need to be on the team. The guy at the top says, you're on my team. And if you're on my team, you're expected to be in the game. Are you on Christ's team? Are you in his game? So how did these noble Jews respond after the preaching of the gospel and searching the scriptures? Verse 12 says, And many of them believed. Amen. Many of them believed. We read even Greeks believed. Women of high standing and men of high standing, even they were impacted by the message and they believed. They believed Jesus was the only hope of salvation and they clung to this truth. They believed Jesus was the Messiah. He suffered. He died. He rose from the dead. He paid for their sins. They were forgiven. They were grafted into the family of God and they were saved. They were eager and willing. God had prepared their hearts to believe, and so when the gospel was preached, and they saw it in scriptures, the message was received. God saved then, and amen, God saves today. See, I think remembering this when persecution comes, When your body feels like it is that punching bag, remembering that God saves can encourage you to keep getting back into the fight. And so we see that the gospel is believed against a backdrop of persecution. This leads to our second observation where we find a persecution arises against a backdrop of gospel proclamation. A persecution arises against a backdrop of gospel proclamation verses 13 and 15. Where the gospel spreads against the backdrop of persecution, we also find that when the gospel is proclaimed, persecution is soon to follow. This is normal. We read in verse 13 that the Jews in Thessalonica, having caught wind of this preaching, have now come down to the to Berea. You think, well, how did they, how did they hear? I mean, it was about 80 kilometers, and you didn't just hop in, you know, go train and you know, head over there. No, 80 kilometers is still a hike. But how did they hear? Well, it's probably because people talk. They would still travel. Lives are being changed. Good news is to be shared with others. The gospel was told and retold. It spread and spread further. And they had caught wind of this. I mean, ask, do people talk about your faith? Do they see you live out your faith? Do they even know what you believe? That's tough. I know. You know, if they complain to others by sharing your faith with others, that's actually a good thing. I know it's weird, but it's actually a good thing. Paul says speaks of this in Philippians 1, 15 through 18. Listen to what he says. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is hard, but can you rejoice that the gospel is going out even when it's at your expense? So these Jews have caught wind of Paul preaching Christ. They have now traveled to Berea. They are agitated and stirred up, and so they go and agitate and stir up the crowds there. They rejected this message. They rejected the messenger. They could not let this go. They had to speak and stop this. They believed this was a lie and it had to be stopped. The punch is coming, and it's coming from behind, if you will. See, we've seen this before. This has happened many times for Paul. It's a common theme we find in Acts, and it's a common theme for us today. But we need to remember, not all punches carry a lot of power. You know, there are a lot of atheists out there, some of them more vocal than others, but where they seem to go out of their way to tell you there's no God. Why? Why does it matter to someone of the non-existence of something? You know, you can't even prove the non existence of something unless you have all an absolute knowledge. And if they had all an absolute knowledge, then basically they'd be God and essentially defeat the very argument in which they're trying to prove. But it's like saying there's no gold in China. You have to look under every rock, in every store, in every house, on every neck, every ring, you know, every mouth gold tooth for you to have absolute all knowledge there's no gold in China but to say there is gold in China I just need to find one nugget that's it times in your life when you speak the truth of the gospel you will have those who will want to silence you who may even follow you and shame you but you have that nugget brothers and sisters and they need to know it so they can have it as well that's not a punch you need to take. So these Jews agitate and stir up the crowds. They go to silence Paul. Agitate this idea of troubling. They were troubling the crowds. They were inciting these emotions in the crowds. Stirring up. The word there is actually to, to shake. They were shaking things up. Becoming emotionally unsettled. They were frazzled. They were emotionally compromised. And they were starting a riot. You know, it's like shaking up a can of pop. You know, it's, inside is a lot of turmoil, and it's coming out. And we see this sort of thing happen today. You know, if you were in Saudi Arabia, and someone said to you, this man just blasphemed their prophet Muhammad, you're going to see a lot of agitated and shaken up people. It happens today as well. Especially when the gospel is proclaimed. And these people are inciting the people to, be, to respond in anger. They have come in from behind, and they're throwing these punches, if you will, at Paul. And they're rousing others to do the same. Persecution has come, and it's come against a, a backdrop of gospel proclamation. And so what do we see? We see, again, Paul's life isn't threatened. He, he's in danger. Once again, he's threatened. You know, if you take out the head, the body dies, Right? He take out the head, the body dies. The enemy loves to go after Christians, but he loves leaders especially. Do you know that? He loves leaders especially. Why? Because you take out a leader, the ripple effect is devastating. It can destroy churches, relationships, major impact. Please be praying for the elders in this church. Please be praying that God would keep us from the evil one, that he would grow us in faith and wisdom to lead well this church. You know, I've heard numerous times over the years from people on the street who have left a church because either a pastor or a leader or some congregant sinned against them in such a way that they left Now, I know what 1 John 2, 19 says, that they left of us because they were never of us, but let's be real, shame on us if I or any of us have done some real sin that drove somebody from the church. We need to confess those things to the Lord. What did the Berean believers do then when Paul's life is threatened? The same thing the Thessalonian believers did. They have to send him away. They love him to protect him, and we read in verse 14, they send him down to, on his way to the sea, on his way to the sea. The Aegean Sea was just east of Berea. Perhaps it was the easiest route of the, out of the city. And we find that Silas and Timothy stay behind. We don't really know for certain why they stay behind. Perhaps it was it happened real fast. We just had to get Paul out. Danger's coming out like like Abu Fadi. Perhaps they stayed because they cared for this church. We see this often. They wanted to strengthen this church and encourage this church. And maybe it was both. And when he gets to the coast, we really don't know, does he go by sea or does he go by land at this point, travel by land. Scholars actually divided Some think that maybe he went by the sea, uh, by, by ship. otherwise, other words, why go to the coast? You know, and actually south of Berea was Mount Olympus, which would be very hard to traverse. But others think, no he, that he did go by land because elsewhere Acts we find that Luke often tells us when Paul is on a boat. In either case, it really, they're, it really doesn't matter as much as the fact that Paul now has traveled will travel 350 kilometers approximately all the way south to Athens. 80 kilometers wasn't enough to protect him from these. Jews. So they go way above and below. They go all the way down to Athens. And there, after Paul settles, we find in verse 15 that he now sends for Silas and Timothy. I think we need to remember Paul was someone who who really needed fellowship as well. I know we can so quickly put Paul on this pedestal. He's the apostle, a third of the New Testament, right? But you know, Paul was needed, and he was needy as well. We see Paul desiring people to come to him. You read the end of, of 2 Timothy and Titus, how he's asking people to come come see him. In Romans 1, we see how he was encouraged by each other's faith. I think this is another important realization for us when we're in the fight, or to get back into the fight. How do you get back up after being beat down for the gospel? How do you take another hit and keep going? By having brothers and sisters in the fight who with you, who can encourage you and be there for you the next time. The Christian life is not a solo act. I need you, and you need me. As Christians, we need people in our lives, people who really know us, who we can really be ourselves and open up to. you have such a person in your life? Someone who knows your pains, your scars? Someone you can laugh with? Someone you can cry with? People in your life who will see those warning signs coming, danger people who see that kind of check engine light flashing on your forehead before you realize it's there. If you don't have that someone, please find someone in your life. Diving World Championships in Budapest, there was a, a, a diver, her name was Anita Alvarez, and she dove into the water. And before anyone knew what was happening, her coach just runs and jumps into the water. And everyone's kind of looking around, what's going on? He had realized that she had been down a little longer than what he knew she could handle. And not waiting, he acted to save her life. He saw that check engine light flashing. He knew her personally, and he dove in to save her. You know, afterwards, in an interview, he said, we have too many young folks drowning before us, especially at work, in different walks of life, and etc., we watch as many walk away, and unfortunately, some even take their own lives due, due to the pressure that comes from navigating life's challenges. And, you know, brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need to step in and help. We need to get wet, if you will, for a brother or sister in trouble. We need to have it in our hearts that no one walk away from this faith, no one flounder in this faith. No brother and sister should feel so isolated and so alone that they don't have someone to encourage them. You have that person in your life. And let me ask, are you that person for someone else? Paul needed this. The Brean Church needed this. And yes, those of us at Nowood Baptist Church need that as well. And so Silas and Timothy leave and they go to Athens to meet Paul. And there we see Paul now has, ex- has experienced a persecution against a backdrop of gospel proclamation. And so what do we find from this passage today? What is our takeaway? What can help us to get back into the fight? We can persevere in gospel proclamation against a backdrop of persecution when we have our eyes on Christ and each other. We can persevere in gospel proclamation against a backdrop of persecution when we have eyes on Christ and each other. If Paul never experienced persecution, then he would never have gone to Berea. He then never would have gone to Athens. But he had his eyes on Christ and others, and others had their eyes on Paul. And God uses this persecution as a means to spread the messengers of the gospel so that they can proclaim the message of the gospel. Now, let me ask what happens when the messenger no longer delivers the message? When you face trials and ridicule, mocking and persecution, if you're rejected by your family and friends, what do you do with that message the next time? As I said, perhaps you've shared it with a young person and they've rejected it and now you think, all young people, no, they don't want it. Maybe it was an older person, and you're thinking the same. Maybe it was one neighbor, and now you're talking to another neighbor. When you feel defeated and deflated and beat down for your faith, do you get up and keep going? See, persecution will come with gospel proclamation. So how do you get back up after being hit? By remembering we are about pleasing God and not man. By remembering that God will save some, even if he chooses not to allow you to see it, he will still save And by coming alongside each other to be able to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to stand firm in the faith and the proclamation of the gospel. It ain't about how hard you're hit. It's about how you can get hit, keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward, get up and proclaim Christ. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, it's hard sometimes when we're rejected for our faith, when we struggle in this world, and people we love and care don't receive it. But Lord, give us strength now. Give us boldness to proclaim your gospel. Help us to be able to, be, to strengthen others in this, to come around others in this as well, Lord. Help us to fight the good fight of faith and persevere and help others to do the same for the glory of Christ. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.